Hi, this is Natalie Hoffman of FlyingFreeNow.com, and you're listening to the Flying Free Podcast, a support resource for women of faith looking for hope and healing from hidden emotional and spiritual abuse. Welcome to episode 37 of the Flying Free Podcast. Today, our guest is Stacy Womack, the founder and executive director of Abuse Recovery Ministry and Services. The acronym is ARMS. She has dedicated herself to building community awareness around domestic abuse issues from a faith perspective through programs she's developed since 1997. She has served victims of domestic violence through women's victim recovery classes. These classes, written and developed by Stacy, are now offered in Oregon, across the U.S., Mexico, Kenya, and Canada. In her commitment to addressing these issues, she has also written, developed, and currently co-facilitates ARMS batterer intervention programs specific to men and women of faith, offered to both voluntary and court-mandated clients. Stacy has co-chaired both the Multnomah and Washington County Family Violence Coordinating Council. She was the 2012 recipient of the Judge Harrell Award in Multnomah County for outstanding collaborative efforts to end family violence. Stacy's dedication and determination have grown a small grassroots endeavor into a viable organization that has done much to end the cycle of abuse for thousands of men, women, and youth. Stacy has been married for 39 years to her husband, Jerry. They have six children and 11 grandchildren. She enjoys writing youth fiction and spending time with her family. Stacy, I just want to welcome you to the Flying Free podcast today. Thank you so much. I'm really grateful to be here today. I am really excited about this subject because we've got women across the board who are actually depleted. They've not been, you you use the word starved. They've not only not been given love and affection, but they've actually had it sucked dry. They've been, they like, like they've been a host and a parasite has basically sucked all of that from them and they are left with nothing. And, and now, and, and also the other problem is that Many of them have experienced this for their entire lives. So they've been given messages when they were children and when they were adults saying that they're not even worth love and affection. So where do you even begin to, um, to address this subject? I mean, where do you even begin? Where do they even begin to heal from something like this? Well, I know for us, we do, you know, a specific class just on this in our program. And uh, so we start with the childhood issues, just like you mentioned that a lot of these things, you know, especially when they start in childhood are have a really devastating effect. So, you know, we have to start there. So starting with their unmet childhood needs, like you said, we all have this need to be loved and and secure and safe and valued and respected and protected. And those things don't get met as a child they create all kinds of issues for us that uh, make us, you know, actually almost crave after in an unhealthy way for affection from others. So when a woman is in an abusive relationship, what does she do to get those needs met, that need for affection? Well, you kind of have to look at, you know, the first thing is like, what, what does she do normally do? And I think part of that is just, she is trying to 
uh, find somebody who's going to meet this great need inside of her, these things that have never been filled for her through another person. And this is normal for all of us. Anybody who's not had these needs met, we look for ways to fill it because God created us with this, this place inside of us that needs to be filled. And so a lot of times, instead of going to God, you know, and if they don't even know God, then they wouldn't know to do this. But even if we do grow up in church, we can still find ourselves running after this. So her part oftentimes in the abusive relationship is one of like pressing forward to, to have this intimate relationship, to try to get this need for affection filled. And yet, uh, as she does this, um, at first, it seems like when she's met him, he's this wonderful man and he's lavishing all this attention on her. And she's, she's thinking, wow, I've, I've finally met this person who's going to meet these needs for me. And there's always going to be a problem if we look to another person to meet the need that was only meant to be filled by God. And of course, God created us to be interdependent with one another. But first and foremost, that need needs to be met by God. And so when we go running to this other person to meet these needs, it causes issues. And we've been fed this our whole life. You know that someday our prince is going to come and and, you know, we're going to have this happily ever after. But, you know, God is, right. God is the only one who can truly fill this deep, 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 deep place inside of us. So she runs after this and she's sure she can just share with him in, in such a way, communicate to him how his behavior is affecting her that uh, he will understand and he will go, oh my gosh, I didn't realize I won't do this anymore and and he'll change. And he doesn't because he's not living in the same mindset as these women are. They're still, the women are still trying to work mutually and he's in this power over mentality and and to meet her, her level would mean giving up his power and control, which he's not usually willing to do. Right. So that creates problems, you know, and he, on his side, he's, you know, he's, he's pulling away from her as she's pushing forward to try to reach out to him for him to meet this need. But the the answer really is in first and foremost, being completely uh, filled and satisfied with God first and foremost. So how does that look? If you've been, if you've been, I mean, I know a lot of these women have actually grown up in, I mean, I think most of us have grown up in not so healthy families just because that's just the human, that's human nature, right? It's the world that we live in. Mm -hmm. Um, And so a lot of us come into our marriages already feeling like we're not worth love. And like you said, we're looking to get that. We're looking for that Prince Charming. We think that that's going to be the answer. And, you know, we didn't get those needs met as children. So now we're going to get them met as adults and everything is going to be great. So, but so, and, and you, I mean, I remember growing up and hearing in church, you know, you need to, as a teenager, you need to get your, the whole Jesus is your boyfriend kind of thing, which I don't, (laughs) which is kind of weird, I think, but but the idea that Jesus, God can fill that empty spot inside of us. But how does that look on a practical level when you've got someone who's like, let's say that you've got a 45 year old woman who's, be, who's getting out of an abusive relationship and she all, she kind of feels betrayed by God too. Right. You know, like, why did God allow this to happen to me? And now I'm supposed to feel that God loves me and I'm supposed to get my needs met from him. How would, would you address that? 
Well, it's, you know, it's one of those things, like I mentioned before, we have a, a program that we, that we take the women through and probably the most common thing we hear coming out of the, the women going through the program is first of all, they're not alone. And secondly, that now they believe that God loves them and values them. And because the, those beliefs change about who they are, it changes their behaviors. So when a woman comes in, she comes in, act like you said, not trusting God, feeling like God has betrayed her, feeling like, you know, that all the things that she believed in somehow weren't true. And yet I know even personally for myself, even though I'm not a survivor of domestic violence, but in my darkest moments, as I cried out to God in my, my deepest heartaches, that's where God began to really speak to me personally uh, about who he was to me and how faithful he'd been to me, even though I couldn't see it at the time. And I just kept requesting God, Lord, show me your faithfulness, show me your faithfulness, because what I experienced, I didn't feel like, I felt like God had completely betrayed me and all of that. And so I think that uh, you can't really get to this place of real uh, true intimacy a lot of times without this heartache that comes with it, because it push, pushes us into this place of realizing that um, we have this great need for God that only he can fill. So in a practical sense for me and the women that we serve is this to begin seeking God. It's like, God, I don't get this, this, to, you know, be honest. I don't think God's afraid of our anger or afraid of our feelings. I feel like he understands all these things. He's not put off by them. We can tell God how we feel and continue to seek him. And, and in one of our lessons, we talk about Job and, you know, Job went through horrendous things, but his redeeming quality was that he continued to seek God and seek God and seek God and seek God until God answered him. Until, and that brought him to a whole new place in, in his relationship with God. And I know personally for me, why I would never wish what I went through on anybody else, nor would I want to go through it again. I would never go back and change it now because of the great gains and the intimacy that I had with God. So I went from this place of loving God because I'm a pastor's daughter. So I knew God, I needed a savior. But it took this, this difficult situation for me to realize that I didn't just need a savior from a you know head place. I knew that I needed a savior from my you know knowledge from a knowledge base, but from a heart place, God showed me my need for Him, and so then I went from loving God to being in love with God, to where God became enough for me, everything that I needed, and that's an ongoing thing because life continues to come at us, and if for the women who are still in abusive relationships and who are still facing this constant attack on their self-esteem and their value and their worth is really, really difficult. And for them to be able to make those steps forward in healing is they really do need the support of others who understand what they've gone through. They really need to be in a place where they can just feel safe and feel validated for their experiences. And that's what we see for the, the over 26,000 women that we serve. That's what we've seen with the women that we've served. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, I think it has to be, I, I know for me, my relationship with God was the one, was one of the things in my life that I could actually control that was all mine. Right. I didn't have to share it. I didn't have to, you know, it wasn't monitored by anybody. It was just mine. And so that was, I really valued my relationship with God. I didn't really struggle. I actually really didn't struggle in my faith at all. And I, I felt like it was very, very strong throughout my whole process. I struggled 
more with my faith after I got out and I looked back and saw, I could see God's hand through it, but I, I started talking with all these other women and I was watching them go through really horrific things. And I was asking, then I was questioning God, why, why do you let this happen to women? You know, so I could see God's hand in my life, but I wanted to know, you know, God, are you going to come through for them? Are you going to come through for my kids? Are you going to, you know, I just, I just, I want the, I just want the, you know, everything to be made right. So, um, so my faith has kind of taken a, a plus the other problem with faith is that you, a lot of us as women have been told by our churches that the ways that we were being abused were actually not abuse. It was actually really good for us, you know? Yeah, that's a lie. <laughs> I, I know, I know, but we were immersed in that. Yeah. And, and so we sort of associated God, unfortunately, he got thrown into that mess and got all tangled mm-hmm. up in it. And we, it, and so now one of the, one of the challenges for women coming out of abuse is separating God and Jesus Christ from the lies and the false messages that we got in our churches and from our Christian friends and, you know, well-meaning people, but who just didn't understand the full scope of what, what abuse entails and how spiritual, when you are a person of faith, spiritual abuse is actually part of, because they're using God, they're using the Bible as a method of keeping you quiet, keeping you uh, controlled, keeping you from lifting your voice. If you raise your voice as a woman in a church and you say, Hey, there's something wrong here. You're viewed as rebellious. Right. Yes, that is true. Uh, Unfortunately, the church, you know, uh, statistically clergy are the number one place people go for help. But unfortunately they are some of the most uneducated, not uncaring, but uneducated people around this. So oftentimes they treat this issue like normal marital conflict and it's not the same. It's about power and control, but since it's so complicated and they haven't received training, oftentimes they become more concerned with saving the relationship than being concerned with the individual person and the heartache they're going through. Right. So, you know, we use the scripture out of Jeremiah where he says, you know, Jeremiah says, peace, peace, they say when there is no peace. And I think the churches do that sometimes. They they tell her just, you know, go back and God's going to bless you through this time of suffering. And, um, they, they pat themselves on the back as they send her back into an even worse situation than she was in before because they didn't support her and give her the help she needed. And in reality, it's, it's like someone, if you were stabbed, you know, they wouldn't, someone wouldn't expect you just to get up and start walking around and living life like it was normal. You would need time and attention given to the wounds that you had received. And a lot of times women who experienced abuse in any form, emotional, spiritual, whatever form it's come in, uh, are not given the right to have the appropriate time and attention to the healing process. So uh, that's that's very misunderstood. And not only that, but they're actually told to go and have sex with the person who is harming them. They're yes, told that that's their Christian duty. It's, uh, it's, it's really, it's unconscionable. Right. It. And when you always take it back to what would Jesus do? Uh, I know that sounds cliche, but the reality is 
you know, Jesus's heart was to lay his life down and to serve. And so that makes him the head servant. So he was the first to give up his way, his rights, you know, in order to bless us. And this is the command that was given to men in loving their wives. This is a really difficult and high calling. It's very opposite to what, the way our world presents how a man should be, even in our faith communities. Mm-hmm. But the man is to be the first to serve, the first to forgive, the first to be kind, the first to, you know, give up what they want rather than the other way around that the woman's supposed to serve him. And I, I can never see Jesus forcing a woman or telling her that she needs to, you know, uh, give him sex because he wants it that because that's not the character of Christ. Right. And so it's in conflict with that. And so that is a part of what we would call spiritual abuse. And yet it's common. It's very common. Yeah. So I noticed um, in the materials that I was looking at that you guys offer, um, you do have some resources. In fact, I was going to, I'm actually going to make a page for pastors just with that links to resources for them. And I don't have any, I don't work with pastors or leaders like that, but I know other people do. And so I just, you know, sometimes I'll get an email from a pastor and he'll say, well, where can I go for more, you know, information? So I'm going to make a page on my website. I'm going to link to some of your stuff, but I'm wondering what kind of, um, success rate or what kind of feedback are you getting from clergy as far as the help that you've offered or the information that you have? Is there any hope? (laughs) Oh yeah, there's hope. Um, you know, I've been doing this a long time, almost 22 years and, you know, over the course of time, things have definitely changed, but it's kind of like a slow moving barge. Yeah. And, um, you know, belief systems have been around for thousands of years and it takes a really long time for people to begin seeing it. We're all raised in both men and women. And so there's a lot of misconceptions that we all buy into. So we, I do a lot of pastoral trainings and things like that. So I'm seeing more pastors being, you know, more open to it, but then we still have pastors who will contact, who will say, no, it's not a problem in my church, which we know that's not true. We know that in every church, there's something that's going on. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but I can tell you every time I do a a training for a church uh, staff or the faith community, um, I, I always have, uh, pastors come up afterwards and they'll say things like, you know what, as I was going through all these like typical things that they might experience, they're like, you know what, I've been doing a lot of things wrong and I'm going to change how I'm doing things. Is this content resonating with you? I've written a book for women of faith and destructive relationships called, Is It Me? Making Sense of Your Confusing Marriage. A Christian Woman's Guide to Hidden Emotional and Spiritual Abuse. You can actually read reviews and find out more about my book on Amazon.com. It comes in paperback, Kindle, and Audible formats. I've also got a website specifically focused on helping women of faith find hope and healing. It's called FlyingFreeNow.com. I'll even give you the first three chapters of my book free if you want to hop on my mailing list at the top of my website. Those three chapters are going to help you figure out if your relationship is normal or destructive. Now, let's get back to our episode. And so there, there is hope. You know, every time I, 
I've had trainings where I did one in Texas one time and it was only three pastors. We were expecting more, but it was only three pastors. And I'm thinking, am I wasting my time, God? Um, And it was so great because God's so good at uh, showing us that he's doing something. So later that same day, I get a a call from that or email from that pastor saying, I want you to know, Stacy, that as soon as I left, because it was like a a two hour training, a two or three hour training. As soon as I left, I got back to my church. There was a woman sitting outside waiting for me who had fled from domestic violence. And I, I knew what to say to her because of what you shared with me. I knew what to do. That's wonderful. Yeah. So another question I have along those lines um, is I know that the, you know, the church that excommunicated me, they had just received training from Chris Moles, actually. Are you familiar with him? Um, Just his name. Okay. And so he came and did a weekend training with the the elders and the pastors. Mm -hmm. And I I went to um, Bethlehem Baptist, which is a very large church in the Twin Cities, Minnesota area, Mm -hmm. John Piper's old church. Um, And they were at that point in time trying to figure out the whole abuse thing and they got this great training, but then, you know, a year later they excommunicated me because I ended, I ultimately ended up filing for divorce. Right. And that is not, you're not, you know, you're not allowed to do that. So, um, so what I noticed is that they, they understood or they were beginning to understand the physical abuse piece And realized, okay, we, you know, even prior to that, I think they were like, well, you know, well, even John Piper said once online, well, if she gets smacked around a little bit, that's, that's okay. So (laughs) so that was kind of their mentality before. So it was like the light bulbs kind of went on with the physical violence piece, but the emotional abuse piece, the spiritual abuse piece, that that just completely went over their heads. So I'm wondering how you address, how does your organization address that is that something that you because it's a it's much more subtle it's more complicated um yeah we uh we actually have eight different categories that we talk about abuse in and so verbal psychological physical financial sexual property spiritual and animal so we actually uh you know look at it from every angle and every aspect and talk about how emotional safety is as important as physical safety. And so why physical abuse is, is, you know, more obvious and it's illegal and it's dangerous and all of that. The reality is, is that, that no matter what form of abuse a woman is, is is experiencing, it's bringing death to her. Mm -hmm. So helping, helping her to understand and helping the church to understand how none of this is okay. That, that any use of power and control to, in the relationship uh, is is not what God intended for marriage. God intended for marriage to be very mutual and equitable. It wasn't until after Adam and Eve sinned that these problems came into being. They're, they didn't have power struggles before they sinned. And so when Jesus came to die and rose again, he came to make right what was, what was wrong. But, and that included everything from you know, our relationship with God to the problems in our relationships uh, between husband and wife. But it had been this way for so long that, that the man had had the power and the control in the relationship and men felt very justified in that. And I think that 
uh, on a deep underlying uh, subconscious belief in our in our culture today. Even though there's been some strides forward, there's still a lot of underlying belief that that says that women are less than men and don't have as have the same rights as men. And and so all these more subtle kinds of things, like you know that aren't as obvious that people wouldn't recognize as being abusive because someone can be verbally abusive and never yell. Right. <laughs> and, and people can be psychologically abusive and it just like, looks like normal marital conflict. Yep. How do you explain that to someone? And it's, it's confusing to a lot of people. So we don't, we don't make that determination whether or not someone's in an abusive situation when they call us, we say, we just get her the resources that she's, um, that she needs even if she's not sure if she's in an abusive relationship, we're like, here, you know, why don't you read this? Or why don't you come to this group? And she's going to relate with it. I remember one pastoral training I did. It was a whole group of pastors. And at the end, I was really upset that I didn't get to rebuttal it. He made this one pastor made a comment that we needed to be careful how we were questioning women or we were going to be creating victims. And which implies again that women are either lying or crazy, which yes. are the most common responses women get when they go to their churches. Uh, but you know, there's, I have to just say, because I have, I know some men out there who really are passionate about seeing women uh, who've experienced uh, abuse, experience what healthy men look like and who want to be a part of this movement, but aren't sure how, because they're told they can't be. So there are men out there who are good men who do want to make a difference. Yes, I agree. Well, I'm married to one, so I, I know I know they're out there. Um, I, you know, one thing that I tell people too is that emotional abuse is physical abuse. It's just that, like, like, uh, like you can't see the the actual abuse happening. You also can't see the damage that it's doing. But it it actually studies are now showing that it actually does brain damage. It damages your brain. It damages your endocrine system, your heart and your uh, pulmonary operations, your digestive system, your ability to fight disease. And I don't know if you've seen this, but I've seen this across the board where women in my group are all dealing with a lot of the same symptom, physical symptoms. Yeah, um, the, health, the health issues, they've done studies, I know, at um, Oregon Health and Science University, about the connection between health and domestic violence. And it's, you know, our bodies weren't meant to be under a constant state of stress and stress can be created in all kinds of ways. And abuse, even when it's non-physical, you know, your constant state of stress. So your, your body is flushing out this cortisol that, you know, that's supposed to save you from the saber-toothed tiger, but, you know, we weren't supposed to be running from, you know, our lives all the time. And so our bodies cannot keep up with the cortisol being dumped into our system. And our hippocampus, which is in our brain, goes to counteract the cortisol, which is very damaging to our body. But it can't keep up. So uh, it is actually eating away at our organs. So they, they haven't been able to exactly diagnose, you know, exactly how it happens. But they think it's the weak link in whatever your family genetics is. So uh, we, a lot of our women deal with health issues and once they're out of the abuse and they begin healing, a lot of their health issues either completely go away or greatly improve. Yes. So um, that's, that's the good news is that, you know, we just weren't meant to be under that kind of stress. And so that's why all those forms of abuse, regardless of what it is, is actually killing women. Well, three women a day might, 
die from abuse, which is the statistic out there. The reality is that millions of women are dying a very, very slow death. It's like taking a little bit of poison every day. Yes. Yes. And I think that I, I look forward to the day when that kind of information and research is may is just, we all know that, you know, like we all know smoking is bad. We all know that emotional abuse is bad because we all, you can see the symptoms in a person who's going through that kind of stress, even in children being able to, you know, if teachers could identify children who are being abused at home, um, if there were markers or ways to, well, there are, but there I are, and they see them. Honestly, I te- a lot of teachers that I know say that they can recognize, especially if they themselves have been in abusive relationships, they recognize it in the kids. Yeah. It's like, you know, I feel like, you know, yes, we need help for the kids, but if we don't help the parents, the kids are pretty powerless. They still have to go home. Yeah. So we need yeah. to get help for mom and dad and at least one of them to begin making the changes that need to take place. Cause you know, we work the whole gamut. So we work with women who are abused, which is our largest program, but we also work with men who are abusive and women who are abusive. So we kind of have a full picture of how this looks. And, and if we can, if we can help that child have one healthy parent, you can change the whole course and you can, you can stop the cycle of abuse for the, the next generation. Yeah. That's very, very hopeful. Um, well, I'm also hoping that one day our seminaries, that this will be mandatory information and learning for people coming out of seminary. Because if you're going to be in a people-helping role and you don't know or understand the the, the abuse dynamic, there you are missing out on a, a, a an entire mission field of... I, I think it should be an entire class for every social services for every counseling, for every seminary, for Bible college. I think it should be required in every single um, helping profession, like you're saying. It it shouldn't just be what counselors get now, which is usually a couple chapters in a book and a couple hours of training. It needs to be a full 40 hours, at least, of training, which is what industry standard is for domestic violence. We offer that. But, you know, so, but at the same time, it's like helping them to understand that this is, this is a really, really big issue. And, um, you know, you'd be hard pressed to walk through any crowd and not, without realizing it, have multiple women in that crowd who've experienced abuse or are experiencing abuse. Yes, it's a huge, huge problem. So what are some ways that, what are some things that women who have experienced abuse um, do to meet their need for affection in healthy ways? In healthy ways. Okay. So we, um, talk Cause I want to end on a hopeful note. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so, um, some of the things that we suggest they do is to, you know, part of it is learning who they are because when you're in an abusive relationship, you, you lose yourself because you, you've worked to become who this person has called you to be. So part of that is, is seeking God to go, what is your plan for me? And who do you say I am? And, and even writing down what they like and what they dislike, because that's part of regaining, you know, because you know what he likes and what he dislikes because you have to, to survive the chaos of abuse. But can you learn to figure out what you like to do, what you dislike to do and, and, and regain the things that you gave up because it bugged him. It upset yeah. him. Yes. Gaining yourself, learning the difference between what your wants and your needs are. And then what do you, 
what can you do to begin meeting some of those things? Like, you know, we've had women who, you know, wanted to go to college to become a nurse or a CPA. And I've watched them take these steps. It's like, it's scary. They don't believe they can. They've been told they're stupid. Mm. And it has taken months and months and months for them to even fill out the application online. And then they do and they get straight A's. It's just an amazing thing. We tell them to learn to say no to the abuse, which is really about believing in their value. If you're valuable, then you will say no to the abuse. You will begin to do things to step away, to find what kind of boundaries are going to be appropriate um, in the process. And uh, you're going to learn what healthy relationships are about. So if you grew up in abuse and then you married into abuse, you may not even have any idea what healthy looks like. So we often suggest that they watch other couples. There's no perfect couple out there, but watch and, and surround themselves with people who are uh, living out their relationships in a healthier way to kind of regain that. But first and foremost, again, is going back to their, you know, really uh, spending time with God and seeking him and letting him show him, show them how he is there for them in the midst of all this. You know, um, there's a scripture that we, that I love that, you know, God doesn't want us to die and abuse brings death to us in so many ways. And in Deuteronomy 30, 19, it says, I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing, therefore choose life. So we want women to choose life. And sometimes that means setting boundaries that might end the relationship. And I know most women don't want that. They just want the abuse to end. And there's a lot of boundaries you can try before you actually do a separation. But we, we find separations very helpful for our women. And we tell them if they separate to plan at least six months, because anybody can behave well for a while, gives you a chance to see whether or not he's actually going to follow through with the things he's promised. Yeah. Gives you a chance to heal. And that way you can really make some good decisions around your relationship. But it's really hard. Like you said, if you do decide that ending the relationship is, is your only option and the church doesn't support you, that's really, really hard. And just, you know, it's really sad that a lot of women have to either find another church. And I've had hundreds of women tell me, Stacy, I love God, but I hate church because of what the spiritual abuse they experienced from their own church body. Yeah. Um, it should have been the safe place for them to go. It should have been there to support them who didn't understand. And so they didn't handle it well. Yeah. So I just want to encourage them to know that it is possible. We see it over and over and over again. And it's not something you can snap your fingers and have it done. This is, this is a journey for every woman and every woman's journey is a little bit different And it's really between them and God. And God truly cares about what they're going through and what they've experienced and wants to bring life to them. Yes. Mm -hmm. So if women, if listeners wanted to, you have a group or it's like a, it's a study. And can you tell us a little bit more about that? And if, if there were listeners who were interested in doing something like that, how could they get involved? Sure. So the program is called Her Journey, and we kind of gave it a name like that. So they get, you know, if they're still in their abuse, they can say they're going to a women's Bible study on emotional healing. So we're trying to make it safe. Uh, They call our office to get location information. We are across uh, the United States, but we're not everywhere. So for the places that we're not in, we have a couple live phone conference calls that women can call into and, and actually the women get on there and start talking and having conversation before the leaders even on there sometimes mm. <laughs> and build friendships even within that. But they've just found it really, really helpful. We're growing that right now too. We're, and we've added a lot of new leaders and 
So it, every lesson, there's 15 lessons, and we just continue to rotate through them. So it really doesn't matter where they step into the program. We just want to be available for them the moment they need it. Um, so they don't have to wait at all to just come in. They don't even have to give us their real name. They don't. They can bring a, a female friend with them if they want for support. Uh, they don't have to talk. It's it's a lot of listening and hearing God's heart around them. And then we do uh, the second half of the class is spent around you know hearing each other's needs and then praying for uh, the women in the group, which is just as powerful as the lesson itself. Mm-hmm. And we uh, do amazing, amazing things. And a lot of our leaders were once women who went through abuse themselves and have gotten to a healthy enough place where they can lead. So um, that's been kind of an exciting thing too. So, yeah. That's beautiful. So um, we will have that phone number that you can call if you are interested in finding out more information. That's the only way that you can get find out where the locations are or how to join one online is by calling that number. So we'll leave that in the show notes. Yep. And our website has a lot of information, all kinds of helps and, and uh, videos and testimonials and, and things that can be of help to them. Yes. And I will include all of those links in the show notes. So if you are listening on your phone, on, you know, Apple podcast app or something, you can head over to flyingfreenow.com. And up in the menu bar is the word podcast. If you click on that, this is episode 37. So if you can go into that uh, episode and you can find all the show notes for this particular episode. Well, Stacy, thank you so much for taking your time and sharing the things that you know and that you're and the things that you're doing out there to help eradicate abuse in this world, especially among in the lives of women of faith. I appreciate your time. Thank you. I appreciate being on it on your show today. And for the rest of you, until next week, fly free.